1: What's up,
0: guys? It's Dorothy, and you're listening to Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks.
1: What's
2: going on? How are you? Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Hope everyone is staying warm and enjoying the time off if they are having some time off or just enjoying the holiday season. I know it can be stressful. It can be cold. I know though I think pretty much like 90% of the United States is going through like a blizzard it seems like. But uh, we are cold here in Chicago. It was minus 2 on Friday and now it's a Heat wave. We've got it up to 26 today, so we're excited. But thank you for tuning in once again. I'm your host, Jay Scott. This is the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music podcasts that there's something for everyone, all different types of genres and subject matters. So check them out. I always mention my friends Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, Martin Popoff, the Rock Historian. Vinny Apice, Carmen Apice, and Ron Anesti on the Hanging and Bangin' podcast, as well as Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek. I know they're gearing up for Rockin' Pods, so hope to have them on soon. Don't forget to follow them on all social media apps, at Pantheon Pods on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And search up The Hook Rocks on all three of those two as well. You can find us, give us a follow, give us a whatever, subscribe. I don't even know what they call it these days, but we're on all three, and we appreciate if uh, if you do follow us. And also, subscribe to us and follow us on all podcast platforms where we are available, whether it's Amazon, Spotify, or Apple. We, uh, we are on all of them. We've done close to 450 episodes now. We've been doing this for three-plus years, and uh, we've had some great episodes lately. So enjoy the interview with Dorothy Martin. From the band Dorothy, we also had a new music spotlight with Will Preston from Black Lakes, as well as Philippa Nazil from the band Thundermother. We also talked vintage vinyl, the history of vinyl, and how it's being used in modern rock, and how bands and artists are capitalizing on the craze that is out there. We also did a live album review of Judas Priest, Unleashed in the East, the epic album in 1979, and. Just a great year. We're winding it down, and we've got our last new music spotlight with, I think, the perfect guest. I am excited to see her open up for Buddy Guy on my birthday weekend in Chicago on January 13th. So I am stoked, because it's been a long time since I've been down to Buddy Guy's Blues Legends. And he, of course, is doing his farewell tour next year, 2023, And I'm taking my nephew, who just turned 21, so I'm excited to see Buddy. And I'm also excited to see Leilani Kilgore, who is our new guest on the New Music Spotlight. Happy to have her on and get to know her. What's happening, Leilani?
0: Hey, it's so nice to meet you. And I didn't know it was your birthday weekend. I don't know if they'll let me play you Happy Birthday in Legends like they do on Broadway, but I will certainly give it a good shot.
2: Well, that would. Uh, I'm not going to stop you, but you know, when you do <laughs> turn 48, when you do turn 48, the happy birthday. It's like, nah, okay, you know, it's like another year around the sun. 48 trips around the sun. It'll be. It's actually January 10th, but I'm going to celebrate that weekend.
0: Oh, why not? You know, it's, it's all. It's all commendable. You can do it. You can do it the weekend prior, yeah. after. It's your birthday. You can do whatever you like.
2: That's going to be to Celebrate joke. the whole month. Yeah. Well, I know people who celebrate the whole month, and I'm like, eh, I, I don't know. Like, maybe when I turn, I think the last epic birthday is like 40, right? <laughs> is that the cutoff? 40, it's just like, don't remind me, you know? Don't remind me I'm a year older. So, yeah.
0: I right. mean, even at 26, I'm happy to get over with this as quickly as possible, quickly and painlessly yeah. as possible. You
2: yeah, know, my, my nephew just turned 21 uh, the day before Christmas Eve. So my mom has everybody over for Christmas Eve and he brings, and she makes fish on Christmas Eve and he brings out like two bottles of Corona. And I'm looking at him like, I go, you must be really excited to turn 21. Cause that doesn't go with what we're eating, but Hey, knock yourself out.
1: <laughs> Live and learn, right? Yeah.
2: I'm just like, Hey man, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, that, that was an experience to see him. I can't believe he's turned 21, but it's going to be great to to go to the show with him and see you uh, perform there. Have you ever performed at Legends?
0: I have. We actually did this gig last year, um, okay. opening for Buddy, and we've just done some headlining shows there as well throughout the past, uh, I don't know, four or five years. Um, but opening for Buddy always such a treat. I mean, it's, it's one of the most high-pressure gigs for me personally, just because I, I grew up on his music and he's always been a huge influence on me. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where the, you know, I, it, yeah, I, I just, I put a lot of pressure on myself probably more than I need to. And, in my band as well, but it's, to me, it's a, it's a, an absolute honor every time, especially with them announcing his farewell tour. I don't know how many more opportunities I'll get to, uh, open or, or play with somebody like him again. So it's, um, I'm, I'm taking it very seriously.
2: When you think of him and what he has meant to music, I don't know as farther we get away from when he was, he still is a giant in the music business, but when he graced the stages with the stones and you name it, you know, when Jimmy Page came to town or Clapton and all these guys, they always regarded him as the guy. Like Mm -hmm. that was the dude. And growing up in Chicago and being around blues since I was a kid and knowing the players you know whether it was Muddy Waters and Magic Sam or uh Otis Rush you name it and him being the last of that generation it's really remarkable when you think of his history and the impact he had on rock music and now as again we get further away from that period how he's really not as appreciated as he was 10 20 30 it keeps getting farther away and it's just that's why i told my nephew i'm taking him you know to see him and i told my son and my other nephew i'm taking to see them him in, in february and they're like "Why do we got to go i go we mean why <laughs> secondly <laughs> i'm like you know you know who the e. led zeppelin is you know who the stones are you know who all these bands are i'm like this was but the, who they regard as the best ever and you you may not appreciate it in your early 20s late teens but someday you'll remember going to see him and being thankful that you got to see the last of, in my opinion, is probably the greatest period of blues in its history. Um, I only hope that he gets on stage with a long fur coat like he used to, but
0: yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause you're right. There is, there is kind of a, with, I mean, it's, it's, it's odd because if you play blues and you know, blues and that's, that's, you know, mm-hmm. your passion or, or the, you know, what you like to listen to or, or learn. Um, it, inevitably, you have to know who he is, you know, yeah. and he really truly is a legend, living legend, and he is one of the last, if not the last. Um, but, you know, also in the past, I mean, Eric Clapton being one of them, he has been regarded by other monsters in the music industry, the best guitar player in the world. Also, I mean, he's a showman, one of the best performers I've ever seen in my life, if not the best, even at, you know, 87 now. Um, he doesn't wear the fur coats anymore, but he does get up there in, in these really... Crate suits and he has a doc Martin sponsorship so he'll have like the matching boots um, yeah it is sad to hear that that he's kind of um, fading away I think before his time he shouldn't ever really especially because of you know what he has done for for the rock uh, for rock music and and its um, evolution and uh, just being somebody who encapsulates really what traditional blues is and still doing it I mean every record that he's put out, um, has just stayed very true to form and and still offers something different and unique, but is reminiscent of of the, the style of music that we all, or at least myself, grew up listening to and, and learning from.
2: Before we really get into it, I got to back up a little bit because we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest. And that's really what our show is about. And just like every rock fan, music fan has that moment when they were pulled into rock and roll every 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 song has that pull that pulls people in um everyone has that moment whether it's a band a performance an album or song that hooked them on rock music what was it for you
0: that's a really good question um honestly i, I for as long as i can remember my parents wanted me to listen to rock and blues music um so i grew up on the stones and and you know the three kings albert uh BB and and Freddie and CB Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix. And my parents are not musicians either of them, but my dad has always been a, a, a fan, especially guitar players. And I was always raised with the idea of this is what good music is, this is what rock and roll is, this is what, you know, this is what cool is. And I think what really settled it in for me was probably just at some point, um, my parents brought home like a, a DVD set of the Stones in Madison Square Garden. And I'd seen you know, hundreds of, of live you know shows at that point from different artists that they they were trying to uh, impress upon me as as artists that were worth listening to. But something about watching Mick Jagger walk across the stage with like a beat up telly and just you know owning Madison Square Garden I thought was one of the coolest things of all time. So somewhere between that and and uh, you know listening to uh, you know Hendrix and hearing what he was doing with the guitar, somewhere between there I just realized like this is this challenge that they present, you know, to people who maybe wouldn't like that kind of music. I, like the attitude of just, you know, whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter because this is what they're going to do. This is what they're passionate about. This is, you know, the kind of the way that they exemplify who they are as artists. I just, I loved the attitude of it. Um, so yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there, I just decided to ask my dad for a strat. and was just like, I want to do what they're doing. I want to be that. I want to be that swagger and that attitude and that, that challenge.
2: Besides Hendricks and besides some of the players that you know you were hearing, who was really the first one that really led you down that path? Once you picked up that strat, who was the player?
0: Well, I kind of fumbled around for a little bit. I was very young, um, and uh, you know, I'd get very frustrated very quickly because I couldn't, I couldn't pull off a Texas shuffle like Steve Vaughn could. Um, and then, uh, I did take classical starting off. So that it really pulled me away from what I, what I wanted to be focusing on. But eventually by the time I got at a double digit age around 11 or 12, um, I found the white stripes and that's Jack White's playing was easy enough for me to learn quickly. And also it's, it's very raw power, you know, like, you know, evolved derived from Iggy Pop kind of simple, but with a lot of, of, uh, drive in the tone and, and just aggressive. So I think like once I started learning how to play like that and pairing it with um, having to study the way BB King would, uh, um, uh, you know, use feel in his solos. Uh, just between the two, having that combination of, of attitude and and feel, um, yeah, I think that's what did it for me. That was when I was like, "Ooh, this is what I want to do," and this is what I'm going to spend eight hours a day studying. Whether it was the phrasing of a B.B. King solo or how to dial in an amp to get, you know, just that that abrasive, gritty, um, you know, um, like hardest button to button tone, you know, or icky thump somewhere between there, I just really fell in love with the way that you can use the guitar to um, well, more or less vocalize something that maybe you don't know how to, you know, say with 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 words themselves.
2: I've said this before about guitar. When you just look at the instrument and look at how it's made, it's a very limited instrument. There's only so much you can do with it. Um, Obviously there's players that have come up and expanded, you know, the, the, the way you can play and, and what you can do. We think of Hendrix, we think of Eddie Van Halen, we think of Stevie Ray Vaughan. We think of these greats that were able to tap into something that they looked at it differently, but for the most part, it's, very limited. However, it's up to the player, like we just mentioned, to really find that groove, to find those notes, to find the tone that they're chasing and the feel that they want to play. And and that's what's so great about blues and and a lot of rock is is derived from blues is the feel that each player has and how it can sound different from one player to the next even if they're playing the same notes. You know, you put a guy buddy guy and you put page and you put other players and you know distinctively who it is just by the way they play and that's the amazing thing that the instrument allows the player to determine the sound
0: right absolutely i mean you can like you know like you said buddy and and page if you hand them the same guitar with the same settings no change it it all comes down to their hands because tone really is in the hands and that it takes a lot of time to learn that and learn what your tone is you know what your feel is But that is, that's one of the beautiful things about blues. And once you, you know, train your ear to be able to listen for that, you know, where on the fretboard are they playing? How much attack? Um, a term that I've been trying to figure out recently is, is, you know, letting, letting the tone bloom. It's, it really is just a a very personal thing. And I think that's why guitar remains so popular is because, you know, you play enough, you spend enough time with it. It will evolve into a, a, a very unique, um, thing that you do. You know, that's that's derived from who you are as a person and your influences
2: And blues is so different than any other genre of music, because we have all, you know, we have all known how songs evolve and how songs are played. And if you look at blues records, whether it's Freddie King, BB King, any player you want to mention, they'll have different versions of, of the same song. But what's so great about blues is it's immediately derived from personal emotion, right? Like there's no other genre of music that you're feeling something, you pick up an instrument and your, your, your emotion comes out directly in your hands into the guitar. There, there's nothing else that's like it. And when someone says to me, all blues sounds the same, I said, you're not listening. You're not listening because (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't sound at all like the same. And I remember when my son picked up the guitar and he was playing and I told him, I said, listen, I go, you've got to listen to everything. And you got to listen to these blues greats and all that stuff, because the more you put into the blender, you know, the better the shake is, you know, because you're, you're adding depth to your playing, you're learning different ways to play. And like a week later I go in his room he was listening to, you know, really like hard rock metal stuff. And he's got my John Lee Hooker CD and my Magic Sam CD. And I'm like, oh, he's listening to me. That's great. But I said, that's going to make you a better player. Because if there's one genre of music that really teaches you feel, it's blues. And all the great feel.
0: I I completely agree. And as somebody who got into punk rock very early on, um, I I liked you know, Green Day, I think American Idiot was one of my first CDs I bought with my own money. And um I loved just how fun the music was. I love the energy of it. Um, but honestly, what what got me hooked on blues um is exactly what you're saying. You know, once I I learned that what I was listening to is I in my opinion, as far as music and especially, you know, playing an instrument is concerned, one of the purest expressions of emotion. Um, that's what what really got me into it. Um I think the the defining moment for me when I realized, you know, if you can say so much with a guitar and you don't have to speak anything. Um, I went to a, a blues festival in Doheny um, years ago. It was probably, I don't know, probably 12 or 13 years ago at this point. And um, uh, Joe Bonamassa was headlining. And before he even sang anything, he just played like a few notes. And I started crying because something about the tone and the expression, the vibrato, it, that, that way of emoting was was huge to me, um, especially as somebody who doesn't have great social skills growing up, um, felt a lot of uh, internal turmoil growing up, not really knowing how to express or what was going on, having a way that was like, you know, such a pure outlet to say something. And and it, it can be any spectrum of emotion as well. Another common misunderstanding, I think, is that blues has to be sad. It absolutely does not. You know, some of the most like joyous, upbeat, happy, just feel good things that you can, you can hear are blues songs. Um, but yeah, understanding that guitar can be used to, to bring together, you know, to really build a connection with the player and the audience member, uh, to just feel something. I just thought that was one of the most beautiful things. So yeah. It, and once you learn to listen for that and understand like how you can manipulate an instrument and in you're playing to really communicate whatever it is that you're feeling, I, I think that it's such a, a hugely cathartic thing and a, a really, um, uh, you know, heavy uh, bonding experience that you share with somebody you don't even know.
2: When you think of the beginnings of the blues, you know, when when especially Chicago blues, which is what migrated from Louisiana up to Chicago with the with the transition of, of labor coming up north from the south, and how that changed from that region to the other region, and you look at just the simple. Um, the simpleness of the music and, you know, the people that really started, you know, came from poverty. So this was all they had, and this is what they did to entertain themselves. And this is what they also used to kind of have as a diary of their life when, when they were creating music and how that spawned into this, you know, this movement that turned into this, you know, the, these British bands and musicians loving you know, the Chicago blues and, and blues in general,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but you, you, you mentioned, you know, the connection ahead with you with turmoil and, and things that you were going through and how it spoke to you. When you think of your own playing and you think of saying things without lyrics, how do you, how do you know when you're writing a song that the tone has what you're feeling at that moment?
0: It's a good question. Um, it, it's, I think if it's something that I, if it's something I'm not going to get sick of singing or sick of listening to the first five or 10 passes through it, then we're probably on the right track. Um, it's a little scary, honestly, as a writer. Um, you know, it's one thing to to figure out how to comfortably, and I mean, even in my solos, I I speak fast, and it's kind of blended my playing a little bit. Sometimes I play a little too much or a little too fast. But finding a, a way to sit comfortably in what it is that you're, you're writing, whether you're constructing a solo or writing a song. Um, I think that if, if, you, if you try it and you just kind of sit back and think to yourself, and it feels like a release, whether it's joy or pain or whatever, then you're on the right track. Um, and it's a little scary sometimes because you, you have moments where you're like, I don't know if this is too honest. I don't know if, um, if this isn't going to translate the way I want it to. Um, and sometimes you have to completely rewrite something like one of you know my favorite quotes by Tom Waits is he loves a beautiful melody uh, that has a tragic story or something along those lines. And, you know, I think depending on how you want to frame it, as long as it's something that you connect to and and you feel is honest, you know, because the other thing is, I don't believe audiences can be easily fooled. I think that if you're telling stories that are not your own stories that you don't have connections to, people would pick up on that. Um, so... Yeah, I think it just boils down to if it's something that you feel is honest and true and that you, you, you have a connection to, and even if you sing it 500 times, if you still can invoke whatever memory or feeling that song is about, then you're, you're on a good path.
2: How is that process for you when you're writing something that maybe about a subject that's uncomfortable? How do, you, how do you write? Do you find the tone of the song the music first, do you find the lyrics first? How does that how does that begin with you?
0: If it's something that's on the heavier side, um I, I read a lot of books and I've always really loved studying English. I always start with the words and pray to God that the melody and chord progression that ensues will will do it justice and and you know convey whatever it is I'm trying to say. But I, I do like to start with the words just because um I think that a majority of people who listen to music, you know, even if they don't know the the mechanisms of of a chord progression of the theory that goes into it. You know, it, if you can just tell a story and say it's simply enough in a way that people understand, but still can, um, you know, resonate with them on a personal level, then I think that's the most important thing. So I typically, I typically do start with the words. And with that, you know, melody typically comes in hand. And then I'll just kind of work the building blocks. I wish I could say that I had a songwriting system. I really don't. Sometimes I'm lucky and it'll just come out. And other times it's like, A 30 day process where I'm throwing things against the wall and, you know, literally or figuratively waiting for something to stick.
2: Do you find that the tone that you have, like when you hear something or when you're feeling something and you go to play, the feeling directs your tone or are you finding it with your fingers with with what you hear in your head?
1: It kind of
0: depends. I think it's a kind of a case by case basis. Um. Uh, uh for somebody as scatterbrained as I am and easily distracted um you know I, I like to, I have to experiment a little bit with with what it is that I'm writing or what I'm trying to write just to find whatever is going to help you know draw out the song the easiest way you know uh, be the the best um uh conductor so to speak so if I, if I have like a song or like a tone in mind if I have like a, a feel that I'm going for or like an attitude that I want to pursue with whatever song it is that I want to write um sometimes it'll start with the guitar tone and if I find the right tone then I'm like okay cool we can start with the riff build the riff and then work the lyrics into it or sometimes it's vice versa sometimes it's um you know if I hear something in my head and I need it to fit the melody I mean like I used to write everything very very overdriven and that was kind of my thing you know because that's what I, I started out with. Um, but recently with some of my latest songs and like you'll hear them in some upcoming releases, um, I kind of abandoned that and really start working more towards, it doesn't matter so much sticking to one brand as long as you're, you know, doing the song justice. And I, one of my songs was recorded with clean tone and I used to be terrified of clean tone, but it needed to happen to, to serve the purpose of what the song was supposed to be.
2: How difficult is it to write Something that sounds simple.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> honestly, I think that simple songs are the hardest <laughs> because it's you know it's impossible to not overthink it. Especially, you know, I spent two years at Berkeley studying and obsessing over music theory, and I loved learning the intricacies of, of how you can modulate internally and you know how you can use inversions and like all that stuff. And eventually, it was you know my job as a student to uh, you know apply as many theory you know tricks and 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 hat flips as i could in a piece of music you know to prove that i could do it and then when it got to the point where i realized like i am overcomplicating every single song i write it doesn't need to have seven you know different sections it doesn't need to have nine chords in a progression um i i had to really you know curtail my instinct and i find it really difficult to write a simple sounding song and then there's also you know in, in my case as somebody who uh, gets distracted easily and gets bored easily, I fear that the audience is going to feel the same thing. Is this going to be too tedious? Is it too repetitive? Is it too simple? So that's the other thing that, you know, it's, it's kind of the the blessing of getting to to play as much as I do is I do crowd test a lot of things and see how it feels live because I think that that's going to be the most important, you know, uh, litmus test, so to speak, is to see how an audience connects with it. And if it's too simple, then it's too simple. And if it's not, then, you know, then we got away with something that we probably shouldn't try to do every single time.
2: Well, I always think of the masters of simplicity, which is ACDC. And I always laugh when someone says, Oh, you know, it's easy to play. Right. Well, if it was easy, everybody would write that type of music. And it's so simple. It's basically three chords and, you know, a kick in the nuts, basically, you know,
1: (laughs) it really is.
2: And, and, (laughs) and, But it's so simple and it's so basic, but it's hard to write that. I mean, when you listen to ACDC and when you listen to blues, very similar in that not only do you hear it, but you feel it. You Mm -hmm. feel, you know, with ACDC, you feel that that darkness underneath the tone and the energy that surrounds the music, right? And blues, depending on who's playing, you feel the sadness, you feel the happiness, you feel the joy, you feel whatever in that tone that surrounds the notes. That's what's really unique about some of these great players is they have that ability to make you smell and taste an energy with the notes. You know what I mean?
0: 100%. Well, I mean, speaking of simplicity, ACVC is a great example. Um, but they even just, you know, they had riffs. You want to take a step further. Blues in and of itself is super simple. I mean, a majority of the stuff that I grew up studying was three chords, but somehow you wouldn't get sick of hearing the same three chords over and over. Um, As a blues writer, that's almost impossible. And I cannot stand writing a three-chord song, but you take people like Buddy Guy, for example, who a majority of his catalog was probably the same three chords, the one, four, five blues progression. And to have as many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of variations of songs built on that basis of those three chords, and yet still have every single one tell a different story in a unique way with its own unique flavor. I think it's incredible to me. I don't know many other, you know, genres that can take three chords, you know, the same one, four, five progression and reorder them and and turn it into a case by case basis of what that person wanted to, you know, uh tell at the time. I think that's that's one of the most incredible things about the genre and about people like Buddy Guy, you know, taking it full circle who's managed to keep that alive and still, you know, will get people to either not speak a word, barely even breathe during a live show with those three chords or get up and scream just depending on whatever emotion you want to evoke. I think that it's it's uh yeah, it's funny how how powerful a simple song really can be.
2: When you're writing and you're creating, how do you stay inside of yourself and play what you are and and not because blues is has such a, a a legacy right as such i mean it's so deep in its history that's another great thing about the genre but how do you stay and, and become yourself and not compare what you're playing to others and 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 know what you're doing is great your music is great and it letting it stand alone and not saying yeah but it's not as good as this guy it's not as good as her you know but how do you how do you stay within yourself like that
0: well it's not easy um when you really love something you know i i get earworms a lot um so i'll have a you know a riff that i heard in someone's intro or a progression that i heard or a melody line i'll have it stuck in my head for ages and then uh i'll sit down to start the writing process because we're going back in the studio or what have you and i'll write the song and i'll be like oh my god This is so great. I got really excited about an intro I wrote to uh, our last single, What Kind of Man. The original intro was completely different from what we ended up recording. Um, And I loved this intro, brought it to the band. We did the rehearsal. We ran it down. I was like, man, this sounds really good. I'm so stoked about this. And I was listening to my music while I was driving one night, and an artist that I'm a big fan of came on. And I heard the intro to one of his songs. And I was like, God, that sounds awfully familiar. And I realized I completely, almost note for note, ripped off this person's intro and the first half of their chord progression in the verse. So it's tricky because it's hard to not, you know, it, it's hard to find a balance between deriving from the things that you love and turning it into, you know, stealing like an artist, so to speak, you know, turning it into your own thing or, you know, just doing it yourself and hoping that it's still going to fit within the catalog of things that you respect and you like to listen to. Um, so typically what I'll do is, is if I'm having a hard time writing a song or if I know what I want it to sound like, I'll I'll listen to whatever references I can pull and then just try to find something that still speaks to me and that I, I enjoy playing and that I, I I can build a connection to without it sounding too similar. Or I'll just isolate myself in like a cone of silence for you know a week and not listen to anything and wait for something organic to come out and then hope that it's you know, it's not a direct ripoff or a carbon copy of something else that's just been buried in my subconscious. It's tricky, especially with somebody, you know like myself who just loves to listen to music i have music on constantly it's a it's a bit of a struggle sometimes
2: but kind of digging a little deeper on on this though when you are when you are creating you are playing and how do you stay confident that what you're doing is great and what you're creating oh. is <laughs> and, and and not and not go Oh my God. When you think of this player and these players, I'm like, I'm like, not that good. I'm not like, you know, how do you overcome that?
0: How do I not compare myself? Yes. Uh, I do all the time. Um, um, I used to think that the way to beat that was to constantly challenge myself. This rip needs to be a challenge. You know, this vocal melody needs to be a challenge. It really doesn't. Um, I don't, it's hard because I, I don't classify anything I do in the grand scheme. of think is great. Um, I think that it's, as long as it's better than what I was doing a year ago and I'm still besting myself, then I feel confident in that. If I feel like there's growth and there's, you know, there's, there's uh, a cleaner technique that's being applied to my playing, or if my vocals just sit more comfortably, they don't sound as, as um, uh, I don't know, as uh, novice, then I, I feel good about that, but I can't, I think ultimately, you know, nobody as an artist, it's a very dangerous game to sit and say, you know, what I just did something as good as that, you know, whatever the whatever the the, the pinnacle of greatness is in your opinion, um, because then I it's almost like you're settling, and I have this fear of of being average. I have this fear of of failing, so um, I feel like I have to constantly compare myself because that provides drive and that provides you know this perspective of. It can always be better. Um, I think it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you don't want to, you don't want to be telling yourself that anything that you do can never be as good, but you also don't want to be telling yourself that what you have already is. If that makes sense?
2: It makes sense. Yeah. The singles that you've released now over the past year uh, into 2021. And now this year, like what kind of man and higher ground and diamond shine. Um, How have you evolved the most when you think of your playing now to when you first came on the scene?
1: Um,
0: I think that, well, I'm lucky enough to to play full-time. So I'm averaging, you know, between road dates and what I do in Nashville um, downtown, I I average anywhere from, you know, 15 to 25 hours a week on stage. And when you're on stage, you know, you're not – You're not in an environment where you want to just kind of have as anything. So I try to challenge myself as much as I can and and focus on developing growth as a player, you know, um, leaving more space, not just playing as many notes as I can in a phrase. But as far as the singles are concerned, um, I think that I, I have an easier job focusing on just serving the song and not needing to show off as much. Um, the singles that we have coming up that are going to be released over the next few months, there really is a lot of restraint shown as far as my playing is concerned. In fact, one of the songs doesn't even have a solo at all because I didn't feel like it really served the purpose. So, um, uh, you know, between the writing that I was doing a few years ago, because some of the songs that we released, um, the first two singles we released anyway, uh, I'm going to leave you in triple X moonshine. They're older songs and they were, uh, one of them was written actually at this point many, many years ago and just was kind of rewritten closer to recording and then I'm going to leave you was written in 2020. Um, but I was really new to pursuing the original music career. And so now that, you know, I'm, I'm understanding and, 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 um, noticing I study other artists that have achieved the things that I want to achieve. Um, that it's not—it's not about being flashy on on your instrument. It's not about you know uh, doing vocal runs every song. It's really about just telling a good story. So, understanding that it's okay to take a step back from my instrument and my comfort zone, which is playing, and just making sure that the song that I'm delivering as a package is is worthwhile for whatever three and a half minutes or five minutes or six minutes is going to take up someone's time. Um, I think shows a lot of growth because it's so easy to just tell yourself, well, I can rely on being a, you know, a good guitar player and have that, you know, be a safety blanket because eventually it won't be.
2: How do you come to that realization or how do you come to that moment when you feel restraint is necessary?
0: Um... I mean, so one of the songs we'll be releasing is called Los Angeles and it's a song that I'm actually at this point, one of my favorites to perform live and something that I was really excited about writing because it is, it is pretty different from everything else that we've done so far, just in the, in the way of it being a little more Americana, a little more Southern blues, a little more Larkin Poe. Um, I really wanted to add a solo to it, you know, especially cause it's in a minor key. I love soloing in a minor key. I could have just, you know, I probably could have ripped a good 30 or 45 second solo and shredded and been thrilled about it. But it needed, the story needed to not be interrupted. The, if the song needed to get to where it was going without stalling. It needed to, it needed to have, um, the dynamic build that it has without some kind of interruption. I mean, ultimately it's, it had a point A and a point B. And I felt that adding a solo would just take away from the overall feel of the song and um i didn't want to i didn't want to take any more time for it to get to where it was going than i had to so uh we did a you know a couple of just layering things towards the end of it but ultimately like making the decision especially when we it. i just you know feeling the momentum of where it was going when we were tracking the vocals and hearing the bands uh cut the rhythm tracks I, I just had this moment where I was like, I can't add a solo to this as much as I would love to. It's just, it's not going to serve the purpose it needs to. It's just going to derive from or distract from, from, from where the song really needs to, to take the listener. It's a hard thing to do.
2: As a guitar it's, it's, I can imagine, especially as a guitar player, like, like how do you overcome that? That <coughs> need to put a solo and say, no, it doesn't need it. When you want to play the solo, you want to do a solo, but you're, it's gotta be like an internal internal, like, like debate within yourself. Right.
0: Absolutely. But you know, with some of my favorite bands, you know, if you listen to our artists, if you listen to their catalog, some of the songs that impact you the most are the ones that don't have a solo, you know, it's just a matter of, of personal choice of what you think is really going to assist in building that connection with the listener. And it's going to make it worth their time. Um, some, some of my favorite songs have like three minute solos, you know, and it serves the purpose and it conveys exactly what you need it to, but um, every song that I've released thus far has had a guitar solo. And, uh, thankfully they have gotten better and they have evolved over time. Um, but I just felt like this is one of those songs where it's like, people have heard me play guitar. You know, they know that I play, they know that I'm, I'm decent at what I do or, you know, I don't think they need to be reminded of that every time. And I think that it's nice to give the listener a break. And, and as an artist, it's nice to give myself a break and just be able to focus on, on the overall, um, the overall picture that I'm painting.
2: Playing wise, you mentioned not settling and pushing yourself. Career wise, though, it's a completely different situation, right? Where you are mm-hmm. career wise versus where you are playing are two different things. In terms of career wise, in terms of doing what you do, are you are you happy in, or, or, or satisfied with where you're at in your career?
0: Uh, I guess and so, no. Um... I've been performing professionally for, for years at this point. Um, but after quarantine, kind of end of the world, and I was supposed to be on a cruise ship doing an, you know, my, my fourth or fifth contract, um, having all of that ripped out from under me put me in a place where I needed to make a decision. And that decision was wait things out and go back to a steady paycheck playing cover music or start doing something that terrified me and pursuing... Uh, make it a name for myself as an artist which is ultimately what I've been dreaming about doing and the reason I started playing in the first place so I made the decision to start going after it and our first original show um or my first original show with my band was in April of 2021 I believe or 2020 I can't remember um but it wasn't that long ago and uh Looking back over what we've done over the past two years and the way that um, we've grown our opportunities, the way that we have um, been able to return to to some markets outside of you know Nashville and and draw a crowd and and eventually start selling out some of the venues we play, I see that as a huge accomplishment. It takes some people you know eight to ten years to get to that point, um, you know, to get to open for people like Buddy Guy and we'll be opening for Tommy Castro next year and and a few other people that you know I'm thrilled to be um, on the bill with. So I believe that in the the short amount of time that we've been doing this, really pursuing it, the growth is encouraging, but I am (laughs) in the overall picture. I mean, I'm so hungry to start, uh, scaling, you know, and I know that it takes time and it's patience. And in some cases a slow blur, a slow burn, but, um, everybody has goals as an artist. And my goal is, is, you know, to put it bluntly world domination, you have to have that appetite. You know, you have to see things on the big picture and believe that you can do it. Because if you tell yourself you can't, oh, you know, I'll be lucky if I can get to theater gigs. You know, if you don't think that you can at least try to get there, then chances are you probably won't. Um, I don't have a plan B. I don't have uh, a career backup. Um, You know, one way or another, I'm going to, you know, make a living doing what I'm doing and I currently am. Um, But, you know, we were already within my own myself and and. Uh, my manager we we already are just looking ahead to the next two years to see okay how can we how can we grow this what can we do better what are the things we need to do to improve i'm constantly self-reflecting on the the things that i'm offering in my shows um the way that the set list is built you know how we're how we're planning our logistics how we can save money and not have such a high burn rate on the road um there's, yeah, I definitely, I'm not somebody who settles and in my career with, with what we have going on and the traction that we're gaining, uh, I think it'd be, um, I think it'd be something that I could never really forgive myself for if I just kind of accepted where things are now.
2: What does the next year look for you? Like what, what going into 2023, is there a plans to release an album, an EP, or just do the single thing? Are you going to be touring more? What, what are your plans?
0: Uh, we're going to be touring a lot more. We're going to be expanding into uh, just further out than what we've been doing in the past. Um, thankfully, now that a lot of restrictions have been lifted, it's a lot easier to travel um, and get into places that we would like to get into. Um, we've hit a majority of the south coast. We've we've gone up north into the Carolinas. We've gone, you know, into Chicago and and uh, uh, Oklahoma and uh, Illinois and you know that region. So we'll be circling back um, just because. Uh, every place that we've played we've had just the best experience with the venues and they've been incredibly friendly and we've been received well so you know you want to make sure that you're um you're going back to the places that um well frankly as many as you can ultimately but uh no are, are we hit it doesn't sound like much but i think we hit um live shows i want to say 30 or 40 road days which doesn't sound like much um so we are, we're aiming for 60 next year. Um, that is, you know, between my band, which they all have day jobs and myself. I have my own financial obligations, you know, in town in Nashville with, uh, with some bands that I work with. Um, uh, we'll be working on scaling, but we'll be hitting, uh, we're working on Texas right now and, and basically just circling back to all the places we've been and then adding on some spots further out. So long story short, a lot of touring. Um, and we are talking about doing a full length album. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of time and, uh, it's a lot of budget, but we're feeling like after we release these next three singles, that's going to be the best move, you know, because ultimately we just want to make sure that we have as much music out there as we can, we can provide for people to listen to.
2: How much has living in Nashville impacted your career?
0: Hugely, hugely. Um, so, uh, I dropped out of college in 2017 and moved there and, um, I worked a nine to five job uh, doing um, retail and and waiting tables for the first two years I was there and um, got hired to start doing the cruise ship contract gigs. um, And at that point on, did not look back at at getting a day job and just focused on making an income as a musician full time. And something that's incredible about Nashville, I think it depends on who you ask, because I've heard varying opinions. But for me and my own personal experience, Nashville's music community will support you if you're a kind person and you have the right intentions and you help other people, you know, in any way that you can. And, you know, you, uh, you work hard, then I think Nashville will serve someone really well. Um, the people that I've met in the industry who have helped me, you know, with my Broadway gigs and, um, with just the people that I know in the industry and, and the connections that I have and the, the uh, people I've worked with in the studio, um, Everyone seems to want to see the best for everyone else. And there are some people that don't. Obviously, I mean, that's in every city, but, um, I believe that the overall mindset of, of other musicians is Nashville is to help each other, not harm each other. And I, I think that other cities, um, are not as supportive. So I tell people constantly, even, you know, being six, almost six years in now, Nashville is the best place to live, especially as an up and coming artist or somebody who wants to start, you know, pursuing that, that career. I just, I I can't think of any city that has the resources and the the support that Nashville does.
2: I've heard that a lot, especially the artists that have moved from LA to Nashville, where mm-hmm. LA is a lot more cutthroat versus Nashville is more of a community. Um, yeah.
0: And there, there are cutthroat, cutthroat elements to it, depending on, you know, I think depending on, on the, the, the area that you're working in or the type of music career that you're pursuing, there are snakes in the grass. Absolutely. Um but uh, as far as somebody who's, who's, you know, working in the blues rock genre, um, you kind of suss out people who are ill-intentioned pretty quickly and you don't really uh, associate yourself with them and, you know, learn life lessons and, and move on. And, and eventually you end up with a, a community that's, um, that's very supportive. You know, I, I, I definitely agree with, with that perspective on L.A. being uh, a lot more catty than the Nashville
2: yeah leilani it's been a great conversation it's been great to sit with you and learn more about you and like i said i can't wait to see you in january um looking forward to that so um thanks again
0: i cannot wait I'll, i can't wait to meet you in person thank you so much for coming out to the show in advance absolutely
2: i, I was looking at dates because i talk with with jason a lot on all things blues and southern rock great podcast by the way Love um, them. and and uh we were talking about music and your name came up. So I was looking at buddy guy, you know, cause he's doing some shows in January. I'm like, ah, who do I want to go see with him? And I saw your name. I'm like, ah, there it is. And it's like a few days after my birthday. So I'm like, boom, decision made.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for deciding to come out.
2: Absolutely. Can't wait to see you live. Can't wait to see the show. And thank you again.
0: Thank you so much today. I really appreciate it.
2: I'm Jay Scott. That's Leilani Kilgore. You can find her new single. What kind of man on all streaming services there's quite a few singles that she's released over the last year and also don't forget to check out her website LeilaniKilgore.com, where you can find information on where she's playing merchandise to buy all the good stuff and where to follow her on social media this has been another episode of the hook rocks new music spotlight i'm jay scott thanks again for tuning in happy holidays happy new year and take care of each other thanks
1: And pain enough to make my body shake. You keep me steady when it crashes through my waves. And I am no simple love. I'm stuck in my
3: own. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football